2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. Jesus teaches us that the Father wants us to learn to depend on Him daily. This is a consistent theme in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 7, 7-11, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his sons asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, Jesus spent three years with his disciples, approximately, and they were with him day and night. They ate together, they walked together, they uh, slept together, they uh, watched Jesus do miracles, they watched Jesus preach and teach, they, they heard him instructing them on the road as they went, they heard the Sermon on the Mount, the very sermon that I'm sharing with you right now. In fact, they heard the very words that you just heard in that video clip. They, they even asked Jesus how to pray. They watched him pray, and then they said, well, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus, of course, does that here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 is where you find the Lord's Prayer. And then again, here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, Jesus begins to review the how to pray and the attitude of prayer and and the way we go about doing our prayer time. But interestingly, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, we find him in the place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was full of, of, of sorrow and, of course, looking forward to to what he knew was going to be his crucifixion. He asked his disciples if they would pray with him. And we find Jesus goes, goes away from them a, a short distance, and he spends some time in prayer, and he gets back, and he finds them all asleep. And he says, couldn't you pray? Couldn't you keep watch for just one hour? And then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, Jesus is saying these words to his disciples at the end of his ministry. They've already watched him in action. They've watched him in communion with the Father. They've watched him pray. They've been taught how to pray at their request. And yet Jesus here has to say, couldn't you watch for one hour. Couldn't you pray for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. When it comes to spending time in prayer, the sad fact of the matter is, is that we don't really like to pray too much. George Barnett did a number of, of studies on prayer over the years, and he says that people 
will pray when they're desperate, they need something, or when they're in trouble. He says only about 20% of Americans 45 years or older who are religious, they say that prayer is their most satisfying spiritual or religious experience. It's a small number. The average American spends only nine minutes per day in religious and spiritual activities. And here's a surprising fact. Women pray more than men. 59% of Christian women pray every day as opposed to 41% of men who pray every day. Now, we know that prayer is important. We know it's significant. Uh, Samuel, he said, you know, far be it from me to sin against God by failing to pray for you. Jesus teaches us about prayer. We find Noah in communion with God. Melchizedek was a great man of prayer. He walked with God. In fact, he had such a close relationship with God. The Bible says that he didn't die, that he was caught up into heaven to be with the Lord. When you're looking at the scriptures, you'll find that there are 377 references to praising God and 375 references to prayer. So we know that prayer is essential to our faith. It is who we are. It's what we do. And the problem is, is as you well know, is that we are so often prayerless. When times are going good, when things are going easy for us, when everything is, is, is fine or perfect or, or going well, we find ourselves praying less and less. I always say that coming to Canada is a dangerous thing because in Canada, it's, it's very easy to forget God. It's very easy to get caught up in all sorts of distractions. The question I have for you today is this. How is your prayer life? And are you praying? Do you have that relationship with God? Well, before I go any further, I need to answer a question. What is prayer? And you can look that up yourself in a dictionary, Google it, and you'll get all kinds of interesting descriptions of what prayer is. But Jesus, in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, he gives us a wonderful description of what it is to have a heart of prayer. And you've, you've heard it read just now, and we're going to look at each of those verses in just a moment. But understand this. When it comes to prayer, prayer is all about us talking to God. People have very strange ideas of what prayer is. They think it's some sort of a, uh, of a religious formula or some sort of a... Uh, of an ecclesiastical uh, formulation that, that if they haven't figured that out, then they can't do it. Well, we know how to pray because Jesus told us how to pray. We learned about that in Matthew chapter 6. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But here in verses 7 to 11, we get some very practical descriptions and instruction on how it is that we ought to pray. So let's look then at, at verse 11. We're going to start at the bottom of the passage, the last verse, and then we'll come back to the top of it. But before, before we look at how we're supposed to pray and what prayer is, you need to understand something. Jesus wants us to understand that God is our Father. So he says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those 
who ask him. Once again, once again, Jesus is describing God, the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's describing God as our father. Wow. He's our heavenly father. And he gives good gifts to his children. He wants you to understand that. He is your father and we are his children. This is the first thing that you need to understand. It's the first thing that we need to acknowledge. We have a relationship with God. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, then you belong to the family of God, and we, you, are his child. We were created for relationship with God. A relationship has no chance of surviving unless there is two-way communication. So how is it that we have this two-way communication with God? Well, first of all, we understand that God communicates with us through his word. He speaks to us on a regular basis. Every time we open our Bible, we read it, and God speaks to us. One of the things that, that I have taught people over the years is use a, a pen and a ruler and underline those verses that speak to you as you're reading it. And I just recommend reading about a chapter a day. And if you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, you're going to need to read about three pages a day or three chapters. Let God speak to you and underline those places where you feel that God is, is really speaking to you. It jumps off the page. It grabs a hold of you. That's God speaking to you. And then you need to speak to him. You need to pour out your heart to him. We call that prayer. This, is, this, by the way, is habit number one. When we're trying to teach people how to follow Jesus, we teach them the habits of Jesus. And the first habit of Christ is, in fact, this daily walk with God, this relationship with the Father. So God is speaking to you. You're speaking to God. And I'm going to tell you this. This is personal, and, um, but it's an experience that everybody has. Anytime that you struggle, anytime that I struggle in my relationship with God, it's because of a lack of this communication, this two-way communication with God. When you are not communicating with the Father and the Father is not communicating with you or is not able to communicate with you because you're not reading your Bible, then this communion breaks down and then you begin to struggle. Now, here's, here's what I've discovered over the years. This is probably the biggest problem that especially young people or new Christians have. They feel, you know, I'm not good enough. I have sinned. I have fallen short. You think, well, when I became a Christian, I was so on fire for the Lord. I was willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. And then the next thing you know, I've sinned. And now you suddenly feel like I'm too evil. I'm too bad. I can't come to God. How could God love me? How could God forgive me? Well, I'm going to tell you, this is what Satan loves to do. He loves to whisper in our ear and tell us that we don't deserve God's love, that we don't deserve to be saved. He tells us that, that uh, we'll never be good enough. He tells us that, that God, how could God love us, that God has rejected us, God is angry with us, God is judging us. But here's what you need to know. Of course you're sinful. Of course I'm sinful. Of course we'll never be good enough. 
And until we understand that we'll never be good enough, we'll, we'll be constantly thinking that we have to earn God's favor. But the fact is, for thousands of years before Jesus ever came to this earth, men and women tried to please God, and they were never able to do it. This is why we read in the Old Testament, there is none righteous, no, not even one. And that's why Jesus came into this earth. Now, listen, all of our faith, the whole Christian faith, it hinges on your relationship to Christ. Christ is at the very center, the very core of our faith. Those who put their faith in Christ find forgiveness through Christ's sacrifice. Not through your sacrifice, not from, not from you being good enough. You'll never be able to be good enough. And this is what John says in 1 John 2, 1-2. Look at this. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's what he's called, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a word that you don't hear all the time. Most of the newer translations don't include that word propitiation. And I'll tell you what that means in just a moment. But he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation, uh, it brings to mind the, the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the, the high priest would sprinkle blood on the cover. It's called the mercy seat between the two cherubim on the cover of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And that would be where the children of Israel would find God's mercy or a covering for their sin. So we look at propitiation as the covering Jesus Christ is, in fact, the covering. We hide under Christ. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. You're not. And you will never, ever be good enough or deserving enough to come into the presence of an all-holy God. So... The next time that you feel that you're too sinful to pray, next time you feel that, that you're not good enough to go before God in prayer, understand that that is true. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus Christ is good enough. And so we hide under him. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the sacrifice. He's the covering. He's the atonement. He covers us, and he makes it possible for us to come to him in prayer. I'm going to tell you, of all the doctrines in the Bible, this is for me the one that I have had to wrestle with the most. I find this, I believe it with all my heart, but I just find it so difficult at times to get my mind around this fact that I can come to God through Christ alone and not for my own goodness, because that is what I want to do. I want to be good enough. I want to try to, to win God's favor. But that's not how it works. That's not Christianity. That's, that's other religions. The religion that we preach here is a religion that looks to Jesus Christ as the covering for our sin. He is the propitiation because he is the righteous one. I'll never be good enough. Now, 
Just because I struggle with it doesn't mean I don't love it and appreciate it. For me, this is the fundamental doctrine that causes me to cry out to God with praise and thanksgiving. It causes me to weep before his throne with great joy and with great gladness. This is the thing that causes me to be emotional, to realize that in spite of my sin, in spite of it all, and I, I sin on a daily basis, as do you. In spite of it all, God loves me and he calls me to his throne. He calls me into his presence. He calls me to come and fellowship with him through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so if you put your faith in Christ, then you are covered by the righteous Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we call the gospel. And this is what causes us to rejoice and be glad. This is what our worship is all about. So God the Father wants a relationship with us, and it's why he sent his son to the earth. You need to understand that. You and I cannot come to the Father in our own strength, in our own power, according to our own wisdom. We can't do it, and you'll never be good enough. So next time Satan whispers in your ear and tells you that you're not good enough, say, I know already, but... I have a savior, his name is Jesus, and he is perfect. And because I put my faith in him, I can come to his throne, the throne of God, with all my prayer requests. Now, this is the foundation of all prayer. You have to understand this. Otherwise, you will find yourself staying away from God. You'll find yourself doing what Adam and Eve did. Remember when they sinned against God? What did they do? They went and they hid they hid from God's sight because they didn't have a covering. But isn't it interesting that after they'd sinned against God and God provided for them a covering, he, he, he created for them garments. That's right, to cover them. This was a prophetic thing that God did, looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ himself would cover us. You need to remember that. So I come to God in prayer, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus Christ is good enough. And I come to him with all my prayer requests and with all my needs. Now, a lot of people have a, a twisted understanding of who God is. They, they think, well, if I've sinned, then God hates my guts. I failed too much, and therefore he will not hear my prayers. He will reject me. Some people believe that if I come to God in prayer, he'll somehow trick me, he won't provide for me, he doesn't want to answer my prayer, I'm not a good person, and, the, and so on and so forth. Well, this is a major problem in our thinking. And really, this is what, really, this is the root, at the core of why Martin Luther rose up against the Roman Catholic Church. This is why he protested. This is, this is where the Reformation came from. He understood that he could, he could never be good enough. He could never please God. And so he's, he discovered in the scripture that there is a Savior who, who is righteous. And when we hide in him, Jesus Christ justifies us. I can't justify myself. I can't make myself good enough. But Jesus can. And how? By putting my faith in him. So here we are. When it comes time for prayer, we have a twisted understanding of who God is. We, we don't pray. And I'll tell you the two good reasons why we must stop thinking like this. First of all, it's because Jesus paid the price for our sin 
and we can never win his favor. When I was younger, I used to think that I was one of God's favorites. And over time, I discovered I'm, I'm as favored as anybody else. I didn't rebel, maybe like other teenagers did, but I quickly realized that my heart had the same capacity for sin as anybody else. And so you and I need to back away from this kind of, of, of religion or Christianity that tries to be righteous in its own strength. You can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. And I don't care how good you are, how good you think you are. Look at the Pharisees. They were the most righteous people in the land. Yet God called them, Jesus called them serpents because their hearts were hardened and because they didn't put their faith in Jesus. What brings righteousness to us is that we put our faith in the righteous one. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. The second reason why we must stop thinking that we have to be good enough in order for God to answer our prayers is because God is our loving father. Jesus died for us. We put our faith in him. That gives us access to the Father. And secondly, he is a loving Father. He does not remember our sin. When you ask God to forgive your sin, the, the, the psalmist even understood this. This is before Jesus arrived on the scene. Even the psalmist understood that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. God is your Father. He loves you. And so this is what Jesus says. You parents... He wants us to understand how much God loves us. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Why? Well, because we know how to take good care of our children. We know our children fail. We know our children make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that we hate our children. There are some earthly parents that are like that. They hate their kids. They don't love their kids. They feel their kids have let them down. They have failed them. Aren't you glad that God is better than earthly parents? And even earthly parents usually have the sense to give their children a loaf of bread instead of a stone or give them a, a fish instead of a snake. Jesus wants us to understand this relationship that we have with God the Father. He is our Father. And so we have to pray, God, help us to trust you. Help us, oh God, to see that we can come to you in prayer because number one, Jesus has washed away our sins. And number two, because you are our loving father, you care about us. You know, I'm reminded of uh, the show, Caesar, is it Caesar Milan? He's, he takes care of dogs and oftentimes he features on the show uh, little dogs that have been adopted by people who want to take in dogs that have suffered. And oftentimes these dogs have been treated badly by their former human masters. And so these dogs don't trust the new masters. They, they'll snarl, they'll, they'll back away, they don't instantly trust. I thought to myself, man, how often we are like that. Satan, who is, who is our old master before we came to Christ, he was our master. He was a terrible master. He abused us. He took advantage of us. He told us how horrible we are. He told us that we are unloved. And our old master 
twists our thinking so that we can't think properly. Folks, this is why we need to come to God in prayer and we need to let God speak to us. This is how we began. Habit number one, a daily walk with God where God speaks to you and he changes your thinking. This is what Paul points out in Romans chapter 12, verses one to two. We need to be transformed in the way that we think. The only way that that can happen is if we let the word of God penetrate our hearts. Our old master, Satan, has twisted our thinking, and we can't even think straight. We can't understand anything. We can't interpret anything without it being twisted or perverted. And I'm not just talking about sexually twisted or perverted. I'm talking about about, uh, being twisted psychologically and twisted socially and twisted uh, rationally. We, we, We can't think straight. Thank God we have a new master. His name is Jesus, and he died for us. And he has given us access to the throne of the Father so that we can come and we can ask for a loaf of bread, we can ask for a fish, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will hear us and he will care for us, he will answer us. Why? Because he loves us. You need to understand that about prayer. I know some of you may be thinking, I'm belaboring the point, but here, I've been been a pastor for... uh, 38 38 years, and I know what people are like. I know the struggle that people have. I know why people don't pray. And so often it's simply because they just feel they're not good enough. Please understand, Jesus has covered your sin. Put your faith in him. Trust him that your sins are washed away. And secondly, remember that God is your father. He loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants to answer your prayer. He wants to provide for you. He wants to meet your needs. I want you to notice something in this verse here. In verse 7 of Matthew 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's how I learned that verse. I memorized it as a boy. If you look at the words ask, seek, and knock, you take the first letter of ask, and of seeking a knock, and it actually spells the word ask. That's a little trick to learn that verse by heart. Ask, you will, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock, and the door will be open to you. I want you to see the way it is in the New Living Translation. It says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. When I first read that, I wanted to check that out in the Greek to find out why they had translated that way. And it turns out it's very, very good translation. Because these three imperatives, ask, seek, knock, are emphatic and in the present tense. So this is why we get keep on asking. It's, it's an ongoing thing. It's how we live our Christian life. So every day we keep on asking, we keep on, on seeking, we keep on knocking. That's who we are. That's what we do. Knowing with full confidence that we will receive and uh, that we will find and we will find the door is open to us. Now, the question is this. Why, isn't it, why is it that God doesn't just immediately give us what we ask for? Gloria and I were having a, a good little chat just a couple of days ago, and, uh, and we were discussing some of the struggles of the Christian life. And she said, that's something we've talked about so many times, but she said, everything in life is about our sanctification. I thought, wow, that was bang on. 
Everything that we experience and the things that we oftentimes don't understand, it's all part of God's sanctifying work in our lives. And you say, Pastor, on what on earth does sanctifying I mean, we've already had one big word, propitiation. Now you're hitting me with another one. Well, the words to sanctify just simply means, it's a, it's a, it describes a process where the Holy Spirit is at work in us, making us like Jesus. You can read about that yourself in Romans 8, 28 to 29. Remember, it says all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Why? so that we would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, so that we become like Jesus. Everything that we're going through, this necessity of keep on asking, keep on, on, on seeking, keep on knocking, is part of our sanctifying process. It's, it's what makes us godly. It, it's what makes us like our Father in heaven. So don't get, don't get anxious if your prayers aren't answered instantaneously. So many people are so immature. Well, God, I prayed once and God didn't answer my prayer. Well, but you didn't do what Jesus said to do. He said to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't stop. And when we talk about imperatives, this is a command. This is what you must do. Do this. But keep on doing it. And don't give up. And why? Why do we have to do that? Well, I believe for one very simple reason. It's that God wants us to develop a relationship with him. He wants us to learn that he is not some sort of a cosmic vending machine. You put in your buck and out pops a bag of Skittles. Pop in another buck and out pops your bag of chips. Pop in another buck and up pops your Coke Zero. That sounds like my lunch. <laughs> that's not who God is. That's not, that's not who God is. God doesn't want to be known as that. God doesn't want that to be your experience. What, what God wants in us constantly and continually asking and, and seeking and knocking is he wants us to draw not near to him and get to know his mind and his heart so that we become like him. That's what this is all about. He wants us to, he wants us to know him as a father and not as like a magic genie, which is what so many Christians understand about God. And it certainly is is what has been preached in North America over the last 20, 30 years. This, this prosperity gospel, this prosperity teaching. You say the word, you speak the, speak the thing into existence, and God will, will make it happen. It's a magic power that you have. This is utter nonsense. It's blasphemy. It's heresy. What God wants is for you to know him as your father. We are his children called to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. It's time for us to grow up and stop acting like little children, like little babies. There's a lot of times my kids ask for things and I said, no. But at the right age, at the right time, yes. Now, they didn't always understand that, but over time they got it. Remember when Jesse was little, he wanted a motorcycle. Said, could you even hold the motorcycle up? Well, in his mind, he thought he could, but he couldn't. I mean, what kind of an idiotic parent would I be to give him a motorcycle when he's only five years old? He'd kill himself. He'd be crushed under it, never mind driving it anywhere. But you see how, how the Father in heaven works. 
So just because you're not getting what you want right here and right now, doesn't mean that God doesn't hear your prayer and he doesn't want to give. It doesn't want to provide for you. But he knows when you can handle it, when you can't. The trick is this, is not in the getting, but it's in the relationship with God the Father. You need to understand that. Too bad so many Christians have reduced the Christian faith to getting. If I get, get, get. And Jesus is saying, no, it's about being. Being, not getting, being in a right relationship with the Father. Oh, wow. When you and I are in a right relationship with the Father, that is when we discover the heart and mind of God, and we find ourselves beginning to move in step with the Father, in step with the Spirit, if you will. And we start finding ourselves praying exactly according to his will and his purpose so that it's not about me now. It's about the Father and his will. Now, the Father still wants to provide for us. He still wants to meet our needs. But we understand that there's a bigger bigger issue at hand here, and it's this relationship with the Father where we as his children do his will. Do you know, there's so many Christians who are not in the habit of persevering. In fact, I think that in this generation, we nobody knows how to per- persevere. They don't know how to stick in there and work hard till, till the, the answer comes because we want everything now instantaneously. I mean, we've always been like that. Humans have always been that way. But I think it's getting worse and worse. Well, we need to understand that it, in this constant continuing asking and it's continually seeking and knocking, we are, we are learning to know the mind of the Father. You know, when we first looked at the building that we're in now, it was an old Safeway building. I was just thinking about this this morning. From the time that we first started looking at the building, from the time that we were just driving by it and looking at it as a possible church venue, to pressing our nose up against the glass to look inside to see what's going on, to the, to the time that we finally moved in at Christmas Eve 1999. It took over four years of prayer, over four years of seeking the mind of God and seeking to know what God wanted to do. Four, four years is a long time. And um, God laid it in our hearts, and we just started asking. We kept on asking. Kept on, I kept on asking every day. I kept on seeking every day. Kept on knocking every day. And then finally, the door opened. And we thought we would be able to move in immediately. We thought, you know, we'll move in. We'll occupy the building. We'll start renovating as we go. Then we found out from the city that there's not a chance that we'd ever be able to move into this building unless we renovated it. Well, we're talking about a major renovation, probably probably worth a million dollars in renovations. We, we got the building for a little over half a million, but actually only paid about $150,000. You, you know the story. And so what had to happen is somehow we had to renovate this building. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you, I'm glad that God didn't show me all this before, before we started coming after the building. Because it was something that unfolded over time. And folks, this is exactly how it's been through my whole Christian life. Nothing's been instantaneous. Or rarely is it instantaneous. It's something that unfolds over time. And therefore, we are in this habit 
of coming to the Father and persevering in prayer and never giving up. You know, it's easy to understand how some people lack perseverance and persistence in prayer. They come to God, the whole Christianity looks exciting, just the idea of having your sins washed away, the noble ideas, the call to self-sacrifice, uh, the, the ability to give and to help people in Africa and third world countries, uh, the uncompromising purity, the emphasis on untarnished truth. All these things are, are just very attractive and noble themes that, that just cause a human heart to soar. This freedom from judgmental mentality, all splendid stuff. But folks, these, are, these could be just ideas. But you need to understand that Christianity is not just a collection of ideas. It's not just a philosophical approach to living life in this world. And here we go again. It's about relationship with Almighty God. And if you don't have that relationship with Almighty God, if you just love the idea of Christianity, then you will never persist in prayer. You will never be able to carry on living as Jesus calls you to live. You will give up in prayer and probably then give up on Christianity altogether. Because what you are committed to is not just ideas, not just a philosophy, not just a religion. You're committed to a relationship with Almighty God where you learn to know his mind and you learn to know his spirit working in you and through you. We continue to ask and seek and knock concerning Burundi, for instance. And I wonder, we have 120 kids, 38 kids sponsored, where's the rest? Well, folks, although I may be asking you constantly, I can tell you that we are asking God for more. We're asking God to move. We're asking God to do a work in people's hearts that people will take on more than one child, that people will get on board and ask their friends and family to get on board and help. But I'm asking God to move in your heart. Coming from Alan Denkaff, it's meaningless. But when it comes from God the Father, well, folks, that's really what this is all about, this asking, seeking, and knocking. You're you're hearing the voice of God. Your, Your mind becomes just one with the Father's mind. Your heart becomes one with the Father's heart. And you know how much the Father loves the broken, the hurting, the widow, the orphan. In fact, God says, when you give to the widow and when you give to the orphan, you're, you're not just giving to them, you're giving it to me. You're lending it to me. And I can tell you, God will never be anybody's debtor. But you discover that as you begin to walk with God and start doing things God's way. Folks, Jesus says that if we will ask, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, here's what will happen. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is not a maybe. This is, this is, this is a promise. And remember what we said not too long ago about promises. When God makes a promise, he will not break his promise. He will do what he says he's going to do. Jesus says, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. This has been my experience over my whole Christian life. 
there are times, and I felt God could have answered a little quicker or a lot quicker. But I can tell you that my testimony to you today is that Jesus does what he says he's going to do. And so today, I don't know what, what's pressing on your heart, finances, health problems, um, problems with your, in your relationships with your spouse, your family, your kids, your, your job. I don't know. But I do know this. You need to get before the Father and keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And I'm telling you that the Lord will provide for you. He will open a way for you. But you have to persevere. You've got to keep on and you have, you've got to stick with it. You can't give up. This is what Jeremiah said to the people of Israel. Speaking as God's mouthpiece, he said, God said, if you will seek me, you will find me. And when you seek for me with all your heart, you will find me. God is just a prayer way. So stop being lazy and stop being childish. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's, start, it's time to become a real man or woman of prayer who trusts the Lord to provide and meet your every need. I just want to close with something I found very, very interesting. It's reported by a man by the name of Rich Deem in GodAndScience.org. And he reports the findings of a group of physicians studying the effectiveness of Christian prayer on healing. Patients from the San Francisco General Medical Center were randomly divided into a placebo group and a test group. Patients in the test group were prayed for by Christians. The placebo group received no prayer. And here's what they discovered. There were no statistical differences between the placebo and the prayer group before prayer was initiated. In other words, it was the same for both. However, after the prayer group prayed for the test group, the results demonstrated that the patients who were prayed for suffered less congestive heart failure, required less diuretic and antibiotic therapy, they had fewer episodes of pneumonia, had fewer cardiac arrests, and were less frequently intubated and ventilated. That was their findings. They wanted to know, was prayer effective? Well, I can tell you that it's not necessary to do scientific studies like that because the Bible tells us clearly and plainly that everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. It's time for you to get back to your prayer. Time to, to start calling on God once again. You've backed off because maybe you felt you were, you were, you were too sinful. But I reminded you today that because Jesus is our righteousness and we hide under that propitiatory covering, we hide under Christ, we are deemed righteous before God. And secondly, we have a loving Father who loves his children and he wants us to come with our prayer requests. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit at work in our hearts right now. Thank you for the reminder from your word to be a people of prayer. 
Father, thank you today that Jesus Christ has washed away our sins. And when you look at us, God, and when you hear us pray, you don't see wicked little sinners. You see righteous men and women who have been made righteous through your son, Jesus. And secondly, Father, uh, help us to understand today that you are our loving Father. And you are not going to give us a stone when we ask for bread. You're not going to give us a snake when we ask for a fish. <laughs> Father, you love us. Father, our minds, our thinking has been twisted by the God of this world, the, the, the wicked God who, who hates us and has, has tortured us and abused us. But we have a new master. His name is Jesus. And Lord Jesus is teaching us how to pray and how to approach the Father to see our prayers answered. Father, help us now, we pray, to become real prayer warriors and people who are seeking to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, God. Our prayers are heard. Thank you, God. Our prayers can be effective. God, give us grace, we pray now, to come to your throne every day with every prayer request. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day, and make sure you pray.